Well, uh, I want to begin this morning by showing you a few pictures. And I want you to tell me with every one of these pictures, is this a hope-filled moment or is this a picture of a hopeless moment? Okay? Hope-filled. Say, say it with me. Hope-filled. Hopeless. So you just say one or the other, hope-filled or a hopeless. Now, is this first picture a hope-filled moment or a hopeless moment? Hope-filled, hope-filled, exactly. The next picture, another uh, scene that many of us have seen recently. What's this, hope-filled or hopeless? Hope-filled. How about this one? Hope-filled or hopeless? If that gets near your house... Hopeless. I mean, it's kind of how it affects you, right? That's right. This was actually in Tulsa, Oklahoma this past week. My uh, sister uh, passed this my way. It uh, was about, it went, it went over her house. Hope filled because it didn't drop, but it was hopeless uh, where it did. And they had more of that last night, I heard. So uh, just something else. So look at this next picture. How about this one? That's a hope filled moment. That's a holiday moment is what that is. Every time I look at that picture, it makes me hungry. And uh, we're going to enjoy this in just a little bit. Actually, it's not going to be this. It wants to be barbecue. I should have had a picture of barbecue is what I should have had because we've got that coming this afternoon. So a hope-filled moment. Here's another picture. Hope-filled or hopeless? <laughs> Some of you are laughing because you saw Lori posted this out on uh, Facebook this past week. Lori had a little spiritual retreat taking place down at Hillsdale Lake. And notice that my, the uh, conjugation of my verb here. She had... A spiritual retreat taking place down at Hillsdale Lake uh, because uh, about Tuesday, uh, really about 5 in the morning, 5.30, she called me and said, I think you're going to have to come get me. And the water was rising, and of course, it's just been raining like crazy. And that spot right there is under about two feet of water right now. Uh, so we got her out just in time. But answer if, uh, if you had the spiritual retreat, hope-filled or hopeless? Hopeless. Yeah, yeah, it's hopeless, though. And they say, play with me. Play with me. It's hopeless. Hopeless. That's kind of the moment there. This one, I think, will be fairly easy, this next picture. And some of you say to yourself, I know, the con some of you say hope-filled. It, it depends. It is really what we're dealing with. Because those of us who knew Christ don't grieve as those who have no hope, right? But... If we don't know Christ, this can be a real hopeless moment. And I think about Memorial Day weekend, which this is Memorial Day weekend. A lot of us remembering those who have gone before. And, uh, and sometimes it sort of stirs hopeless feelings in us because of that, both because of the absence of loved ones, but also because of uh, you know, just reflecting on this kind of stuff. But here's my point. Life is filled with both hope-filled moments and hopeless moments. And the great challenge for all of us is how do we stay hope-filled in a world that has no shortage of hopelessness? Hopelessness that comes our way through uh, things in our world that we can't control. Uh, we can't control tornadoes. We can't control earthquakes. We can't control the, right? these. They produce human suffering, and you and I have to, we don't do anything about it. I mean, we're kind of kind of victims of it. And then there's all of the man-made hopelessness, which there's no shortage. So how, how do we stay hope-filled in a world that's full of hopelessness? We need to remember the big picture on life if we're going to stay hope-filled in the midst of this. And so that's what this message is really all about. We've talked in the last weeks about defeating fear, which is a key component of, of staying hope-filled. We've talked about a lot of different things. But today what we're going to talk about is seeing and remembering the big picture on life and there is nothing like the Bible, nothing like Scripture when it comes to helping us remember the big 
picture of life. There are lots of passages we could look at this morning, but today we're going to look at one in particular, Psalm chapter 90. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up there. Uh, and my encouragement to you is you open it up, just put your finger there and hold it because it will take me a few minutes to get to the, to the chapter there of Psalm 90. But I want you to find it now. So uh, open your Bible, find Psalm 90, uh, put your finger there, put your bolt in there, whatever. Uh, actually, keep your bolt in because you're going to need to keep some notes on this. But, but just, just kind of hang on to it if you would. This psalm, though, Psalm 90, describes life's big picture really, really well. And before we read it, I need to remind you of the context, the, the, the background of the person who is prompted by the Holy Spirit to write this, uh, this chapter, Psalm 90. Uh, it was an individual, an author who you know uh, of. His name was Moses. Say, this is Psalms, and usually David writes that or somebody else. But this, was, this one happens to be written by Moses in uh, Psalm 90. And here's what you've got to know about Moses and what I want you to think about this morning. Moses' entire life, his whole life was filled with extreme, extreme hopeless moments and hope-filled moments. Your life and mine, we, we have some Hope-filled, hopeless moments, and maybe a few punctuated by a few extreme ones. I mean, Moses' whole life was like a seesaw. Remember seesaw from when you were a kid, some of you? You know, it's, they probably don't have it in playgrounds anymore because it's somehow, somebody get injured or something. So, but, you know, there's basically a board, and you sit on one end, and somebody sit on the other end. There was a pivot point, in the, and it would just do this. And, you know, the person on that end would kind of push up and the other person would go down. And you just kind of do this. It's like it just go back and forth, back and forth between hopelessness and hope-filled moments. This is, where, this is how I'm using it from a picture standpoint of hope-filled and hopeless moments. I mean, if you were like me, when you did that, when I would push off, it was like, it was like wham, I would want... I, tried a real extreme with the, uh, the seesaw. I liked the big swing as a kid. In adulthood, when it comes to hope-filled and hopeless moments, I don't like the extremes anymore. I don't like that. You just give me, let me just kind of sit out here in the middle. It's kind of how you get as you get older. But I want you to see Moses' life and just get this perspective with me because uh, it'll help you when we get to Psalm uh, chapter 90 here in just a moment. Just before G uh, Moses was born, you remember what happened? The king of Egypt, Pharaoh, decreed, it made this decree, all Hebrew boys were to be killed at birth or thrown into the Nile River to drown. Remember that? Hope-filled or hopeless? That's hopeless. That's hopeless. Can't even appeal the government because the government's making this happen, right? But Moses was rescued from the Nile by, remember who? Pharaoh's daughter. He was not just rescued from the Nile by any old Egyptian woman by the, very, the daughter of the very man who made the decree, right? Hope-filled or hopeless moment? Hope-filled. Hope-filled. He was rescued from the Nile, right? By the Pharaoh's daughter. Well, the result of that is he's being raised as an Egyptian prince. And then the byproduct of that, Moses tried to make things better for his people because he knew he was Hebrew. He knew that they were suffering uh, under uh, intense slavery. And so he tried to make things better. And one day he killed an Egyptian taskmaster thinking that that was going to make things better. The next day he found out it didn't make things better, actually make things worse. He had to flee the country. Hope-filled or hopeless moment? Hopeless if you're him. Because you got to remember, he has no clue if he's ever going to be able to come back. And now, 
all of the opportunity that he's been given by God, squandered in a moment. No hope. No hope to make things better for everybody else. His brother, his sister, his parents, all of his family, everybody left behind. And he's fleeing for his own life. Hopeless moment. So Moses spent the next 40 years, Sam with me, 40 years, spent 40 years tending sheep in the Arabian desert, sheep that weren't even his. 40 years he lived in the desert, had pretty much nothing to show for it. And his resume you know, was irrelevant out there. Hope-filled or hopeless season of life? Hopeless, if you're him. One day, God appears to Moses from a burning bush. It was an incredibly hope-filled moment for Moses until God asked Moses to return to Egypt and speak on his behalf to Pharaoh and request the release of his children. That was a horribly hopeless moment for Moses if you read Exodus 3 and 4 again. It terrified him. The thought just freaked him out. He was overwhelmed. It was hopeless feelings that he went into, and God had to deal with that. You could spend a whole message easily, maybe more, a whole series, really, that section of Scripture. But Moses finally agreed. He relented and went, followed God's instruction. He went to Egypt. The people immediately, if you've read the story, the people immediately believed that he was sent from God. I mean, he, he takes his rod, he throws it down on the ground, it becomes a serpent. And the people see this. He takes his hand and puts it inside his, his cloak and pulls it out. It becomes a leprous as God had instructed him to do the people. He puts his hand back in there and it comes, pulls it out. And it's healed. He grabs the serpent's tail, which you never grab a serpent's tail. Uh, you grab him by the head if you're going to grab a snake. He grabs a snake by the tail and what's it do? It becomes a rod again. I mean, they see this and they're absolutely dumbfounded. And they immediately believe, hope-filled or hopeless moment. Hope-filled. So Moses, probably with a little bit of step of uh, confidence, walks into Pharaoh's court and he goes and talks to the Pharaoh about releasing the Hebrews. How's that go? Poorly. He is sent out and just refused. He's, he's made fun of. And Pharaoh refuses to believe. And immediately, instead, he makes the Hebrews' work more difficult because of Moses. Because they believed him. Hope-filled or hopeless moment? Hopeless. In the days that followed, nine times Moses spoke to Pharaoh about letting the Hebrews leave. And God performed miracles. Each was a hope-filled moment. But each was followed by nine times of Pharaoh refusing to let his people go, God's people go. Each was a hopeless moment. But on the tenth time, Pharaoh finally agreed after an incredibly hopeless moment for the Egyptians and an incredibly hope-filled moment for the Hebrews. And Moses and the Hebrews left Egypt, and all was well and hope-filled from that point forward, correct? No, no. It's, it's like you think, get me off this roller coaster. But it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. Here's, the, here's something that some of us need to hear. You can leave slavery... Some of us think that, that our hopelessness is tied to whatever we're enslaved to. You can leave slavery and the hopelessness go with you. You just can't. 
Hebrews did. A few days later, Pharaoh and his army starts chasing Israel with hundreds and hundreds of chariots, the entire army of Egypt. I mean, they're not just, they're not imagining that the government's after them. They look behind them and they can see the dust cloud behind the government after them. I mean, it's an unbelievable experience. Hope-filled or hopeless moment? Hopeless. Moses' critics turned on him, threatened to, threatened to kill him in this thing. What did you do, bring us out here to die? And Hope-filled or hopeless moment? Hopeless. Utterly hopeless until God parted the Red Sea and destroyed Pharaoh's army in the waters. It was a miraculous, hope-filled moment. And it was hope-filled until the moment when people of Israel got thirsty and hungry in the desert. And once again, complaints began to multiply. But then in a hopeless moment, God came to the rescue again. A hope-filled moment. You know, finally, God met Moses in the Hebrews at Mount Sinai. He gave him the Ten Commandments. He, he gave him instructions for, for how to worship, instructions for social order, instructions for a lot more. If you read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, just read, read those first five books. and All that stuff is hope-filled. I mean, literally, the Ten Commandments were written with the finger of God, the biblical text tells us. It's, it's, it's an amazing hope-filled moment. It was at least until the people made a golden calf began to worship it, and God becomes angry because he just told him, like, have no other gods before me. And he himself spoke from the mountain, and, like, they heard him speak. And it, it, you see what I'm saying? I mean, there's just, it was just one seesaw after another of hope-filled moments, hopeless moments. And after God punished them for their idolatry, God sent them on their way to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey and blessing and houses that they didn't build and vineyards they didn't plant and gardens that were, were full and overflowing with incredibly huge, vibrant fruit and, and vegetables and so forth. They didn't plant any of that. They were going to inherit it all. And If you remember, Moses sent 12 spies to investigate the promised land. When they returned... Were the spies faith-filled or were they faithless? Faithless. What was intended to be a hope-filled moment suddenly became a hopeless moment because you remember what God's verdict was. They were going to spend the next 40 years wandering in the Arabian wilderness. That would be a hopeless season for them. If you've read Exodus and Numbers before, you know that I could go on with this, and you can thank me that I'm not going to. I'm not going to, but I think I've made my point. It's not an exaggeration to say that Moses' entire life was filled with extreme moments of hope and hopelessness. In fact, just it's bracketed because at the very end, does Moses get to go into the promised land? No. It was a hopeless moment, but hope-filled because it was God who buried him and God who forgave him. And it's interesting to me, because I need to end this part on a happy note. When Jesus goes on the Mount of Transfiguration in Scripture, do you remember who appears to him? 
Elijah and Moses. He was doing quite well. The real Moses was doing just fine. Because what was hopeless with God is never hopeless. And it's interesting to me, after all the drama, after all the ups and downs, after all the triumphs and tragedy and hope and hopelessness, God prompted Moses to journal his conclusions for future generations. And of course, we know that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We know that. But beyond that, it's Psalm 90. And what I want us to do now is read this. And I want you to read it and think about the experience, the experiences of the one that the Holy Spirit inspired to write these words, okay? Psalm 90, follow along with me in your text. Lord, it's kind of in the context of a prayer here. Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. You turn people back to dust saying, Return to dust, you mortals. For you a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They're like grass that springs up in the morning. You just think of the, think of the Red Sea and the, the waters collapsing on the armies of Egypt. In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but by evening it's dry and withered. Verse 7, we wither beneath your anger. We're overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out our sins before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to eighty. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble, and soon they disappear and we fly away. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. O Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Let us, your servants, see you work again. Let our children see your glory. And may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. Now, there are many things that Moses is saying in this passage. There are numerous conclusions that he makes that we could talk about. But what I want to do real quickly for the next few minutes that we have together is quickly highlight four of the conclusions that Moses makes here because these are the big picture that you and I have got to keep in mind. If in a world that's got no shortage of hopelessness, we're going to live hopefully. The first conclusion is this. God is in control. Say it with me. God is in control. You're not in control. I'm not in control. The government's not in control. Science is not in control. We together collectively are not in control. Who is in control? God is in control. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. 
It's just an acknowledgement. There's only one God and he is in control. He's not me. It's not us. Not anyone or anything else. Only God knows the beginning and the end of the earth, our lives, nations, mankind. I mean, he can say to you or me, return to dust, you mortals. And it happened instantly. Just as he can say, think, Lazarus, rise up. And instantly, one lives. And this is, this is the God that we serve. A thousand years are like a day to him. They're like a few hours in the night. God is sovereign and in control. He's the master Capital M-A-S-T-E-R. He is the master of time, nature, mankind, nations, and more. In hopeless moments, you and I need to remember someone other than you, someone other than your enemy, someone other than circumstance is in control. It's God. In hopeless moments, we also need to remember a second conclusion, and that is that life is short. This is how we need to think of it, friends, right here. Life is short. Psalm 90, verse 10 says this, 70 years are given to us. Some may even live to, even live to 80. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Some of us think of time not like this, but how we think of it is more like this. We think of, we mark time on a clock. This is a modern methodology or even a, a digital one, which just, it just keeps going and going and going. And the only, only evidence that these things, that the time, time ever changes is when your battery runs out of the clock, right? That's the only time. But otherwise, that just goes on and on and on. And we think that time is this circular, unending, on and on, forever, infinite kind of thing. And God is trying to convey to us in Scripture. Moses is trying to convey to us his experience. And that is that time is not like that. Time is like this. Time is more like the sand timer. It's running out. In just a little more time, the top part of this is going to be empty and it's going to be over. It's going to be over. Some of us don't like to think about that because to us, we think to ourselves, that's a hopeless thought. Well, only if you view it from a worldly vantage point. And the reality is there's nothing you can do about it because somebody else is in control, right? And he's made it possible for us to have hope in the midst of time like this. And the key is being in a right relationship with him. In hopeless moments, think of it this way as well. In hopeless moments, the pains, the troubles of life soon will disappear. I mean, the day is coming when you're going to realize they are temporary. It's because life is short. And you don't have to speed it up. You don't have to cut it short. You just need to have faith and believe what is reality, and that is that this will pass. This will pass. Whatever difficult thing you're going through. God is in control, and life is short. And in the meantime, as we ponder those things, we need to give ourselves to Moses' third conclusion. We need to seek wisdom. 
We need to seek wisdom. In Psalm 90, verse 12, this is how it says, It teaches us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. And part of the appeal of this passage is just to recognize that life is short and let's not waste it and squander it on, squander our, our precious time on things of little or, or insignificant consequence. You know, we live in an age where people greatly value knowledge and good intentions, but hear me, not wisdom. In this generation, intelligence, knowledge, people's good intentions. Oh, it's so important. Just look at social media. Just look at our culture. Knowledge can be found in a classroom. Good intentions can be learned in a conscientious home. But wisdom, which is the virtuous application of knowledge and good intentions, is found only in one place in the world, and it's found right here. And we've pretty much outlawed this from our schools. We've pretty much outlawed this from our government houses. Some of us have just divorced it from our lives. We need to understand that the Bible is indispensable. It's indispensable to growth and wisdom and the eradication of man-made hopelessness in the world. And it's the Bible that gave mankind love your neighbor as yourself, not the Quran. It was the Bible who gave us the Ten Commandments. It's not in the Constitution, by the way. It was the Bible who gave us an understanding that there's a just and loving and forgiving God who's sovereign over all things. That's not in the Bhagavad Gita. All of the bedrocks of humane civilization came to us from right here, friends, from this book. This is why Western civilization exists. This book. It's the application Righteous application of knowledge and good intentions, the wisdom that comes from God and what He's laid out for us in Scripture. And as individuals and nations, we can seek wisdom here in the Bible or we'll be doomed to repeat the mistakes and misery of past generations. Moses, who'd come out of slavery, understood that in a way that we don't. He had to fight for his freedom, quite literally. You and I have inherited it. We're like some of the successive generations of Israel, Hebrew people. The truth is, friends, we need to seek wisdom in this book. After the roller coaster ride that was Moses' life, his conclusion was seek wisdom. It leads towards a hope-filled life. It leads toward a hope-filled life. Moses' fourth conclusion was pray. He didn't say that word, but that's what this entire chapter was, was really a prayer and just a reflective prayer on his part. He's appealing to us, I believe, to pray like he does. Psalm 90, verses 13 and following, here's his prayer. He says, O Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so that we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. 
Let us, your servants, see you work again. Let our children see your glory. May the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. Moses knew what we sometimes forget. He knew that God hears prayer. You ask Moses, how do you know that God hears prayer? If the cynic of our day, you say, well, I saw him like open the Red Sea. I saw, you see what I'm saying? It's, it's like, it's extreme what God did in his life. I mean, he understands this. And his appeal to us is it's the same God who lives yesterday, today, and forever. He hears your prayers. He hears your prayers. We sometimes are just faithless when it comes to our prayers. We don't, sometimes we're afraid. We make apologies for our prayers, almost like we don't, we don't ask for something that, it, that really would require God to intervene. I mean, it's like we... We go to the doctor before we even pray about cancer, or we do this before we even pray. And, the, and it's not to say that there's anything wrong with doctors or various other things. The point, the point is not that. The point is hopeful living always involves prayer, learning to pray, appealing to the one who can make the biggest difference in our lives. Now, there are other conclusions that Moses makes in these verses, but the big picture is this. In hopeless or hope-filled moments, we need to remember that God is in control, that life is short, so we need to seek wisdom, and we need to pray. Did you track with me? In hope-filled or hopeless moments, we've got to, or even hopeless seasons, we need to remember that God is in control, life is short, we need to seek wisdom, and we need to pray. The risk of redundancy. God is in control. Life is short. Seek wisdom. Pray. Pray. A few weeks ago in my life group, we were discussing some of this. And Dave Burke, who's sitting out here, been waiting for me to come to this moment in this series. He, he's known that this moment was coming. But hoping. Hoping. This is a hope-filled moment for Dave Burke, is what this is. Uh, I'm just messing with him. Uh, but he's in our group, and he told, told us of one of the ways that he's recently been starting his day with all of this in mind, trying to keep it in mind. And uh, he drinks his morning coffee from a mug like this. And the mug says, uh, good morning. This is God. I will be handling all of your problems today. And so he's been uh, filling his coffee cup in the morning and sipping on it while, uh, you know, kind of beginning his day from this mug. And it, it, because it's kind of the big picture, it's, it's the reminder that I'm not in control of all this and I just need to acknowledge that right out of the chutes and, and God is in control of this. It's, it's a reminder of that. And maybe some of us need to buy the mug. You can get it at Mardell's. Talk to Darlene if you, if you want, to, want one or... Email me and I'll send you a link to it. I found it online. There's another way you can remember the big picture, though. Uh, you don't have to have the mug. Just read and reflect on Psalm 90. This is really what you got to do. Read this book. 
Psalm 90 reminds us of the big picture. Psalm 91 continues reminding us of the big picture. I could take you to passage after passage after passage after passage, all reminding us of the big picture that God is in control and life is short. And we need to seek wisdom, God's wisdom. And we need to be people of prayer. It'll help you with a hope-filled life. I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me. We're going to wrap up with prayer this morning. But before we pray, I just want to say maybe somebody here this morning needs to invite Jesus into your life because the truth of the matter is uh, your hopes are pinned on your own efforts. And, and this morning you just need to look heavenward and just say, Lord, I recognize I, there, apart from you, my life is hopeless. Uh, think of that picture of that casket a few moments ago. Uh, you know, Mario uh, is a part of our congregation, Marcelino, and uh, Portia, I think, is here this morning. And he passed away yesterday. And it's a sad occasion. But there is hope, even in the midst of hopelessness, because he put his faith in Jesus. Which means that this life is not all there is. There's a whole lot more to come. And what's coming is better than what's here. The best of our days are filled with pain and trouble, Psalm 90 tells us, but uh, the worst of our days in the future are glory and blessing. It's because of faith in Jesus, the one who has purchased us with his shed blood. And this morning, some of us need to look heavenward and just say, Lord, I'm tired of being my own God. I can't control anything, much less my eternal destiny on my own. Here I am. Forgive me, cleanse me, make me yours. Maybe some of us need to be baptized as an expression of our faith. A gentleman going to be baptized next week. Maybe you need to join him. Maybe you need to be a part of that. You say, why would I do that? Well, it's because when you go under the water, you're identifying yourself with the one who died and was buried. When you come up out of the water, you're identifying yourself with the one who is your hope, who was resurrected from the dead, is what the picture is of coming up out of the water. It's a, a decision for you to make. You say, well, I, I, I did that when I was a kid. Well, great, your parents did that for you. Every instance in Scripture is a decision of somebody themselves, on their own behalf, surrendering to Jesus. It's, the picture of baptism is not something our parents do for us. It's something that you do for yourself. And No harm, no foul with your parents. They had faith, clearly. They wanted the best for you, but... It's your choice, your choice to do this, to surrender to him. Maybe some of you need to do that this week. Plan to join us next week for the baptism. Let us know this week. Maybe some of you need, just got so much hopeless stuff going on in your life. You, you hear what we're saying this morning. You say, you know, I want to walk in hope and I'm struggling with that. Uh, just want somebody to pray with you about that. We'd be happy to do that. So we all have those days. We all have those seasons. But there is hope. And hope is spelled J-E-S-U-S. -S. You need more of it in your life. So let's bow our heads, we'll pray, and then hope you'll join us for a barbecue. If you have no other plans, join us. If you have other plans, dump them. Uh, join us. We'll be right through there. So I'm going to pray a blessing on our meal, too, as we head out. So let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your faithfulness to us. Even when we're faithless, you are faith-filled toward us. You're merciful. You're gracious. Thank you, Father, that that you have made um, a difficult and hard life possible to uh, find hope in the midst of that. We thank you for that, God. Who but you could bring good out of pain and difficulty and evil? There was no good God in the world. How would that happen? It would not. Evil would consume us. We thank you that you're merciful, that you have given us reason for hope. We thank you for Moses' example. We thank you for Jesus' example. Would you help us to follow their example and walk in hope and remember that you're in control and that life and the pain of it is short. So we need to seek wisdom and pray because there's a God in heaven who's in control who cares. Just humble ourselves before you and thank you. Now would you bless our fellowship? Would you bless our meal? Would you bless our lives as we head out this week? Help us to to walk with an awareness of this in our minds. Help us to walk in hope-filled ways. And we promise to give you credit for the good that results from that. Not just good in our lives, but the good in other people's lives as we walk in hope. Help us to be ambassadors of hope wherever we go. Go with us now, Lord. This is our prayer. We lift it together in Jesus' name. Everybody agreed with me and said, Amen. Amen. Bless you all. Enjoy the fellowship and the meal.